Welcome to the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. My name is Sean Coleman. It is a pleasure to join you again. It's finally Friday. This week has gone by pretty fast. Um, you know, we're a little bit over a week away from Halloween. Hopefully you and your family have got good weekend plans, you know, go, going for, for this weekend in preparation for what should be a fun week. And, you know, as fast as this year's going by now, the holidays will be here before we know it. Of course, we'll have all the latest NBA news, reaction, um, and, and analysis here on Locked on Grizzlies throughout the holiday season. So we, you know, certainly ask that you continue to join us. You can find myself at Stats SAC, the show at Locked on Grizz. You can find the podcast wherever podcasts are available. Spotify, Stitcher, the the, um, app, yeah, the podcast app on your uh, um, phone, you know, wherever you find podcasts available, we should be there. So this week, we've we've uh, talked a, a lot about prospects. I've done some more prospect series. We'll have another one for you tomorrow. Took a bit of a bit of a break yesterday to talk about you know the recent coaching news around the Southwest Division, as well as talking about you know how could several members of the Grizzlies roster you know look in trade ships over the next few years. Not suggesting we ship them all out, but you know in the right trades, how could each player be used? But as I promised. Today, really going to break down a lot of different perspectives surrounding the one player who is the main source of storyline for the Grizzlies this year and his restricted free agency, and that's D'Anthony Melton. We're going to talk in the first segment about why D'Anthony Melton is so important to the Grizzlies, why he emerged, in my opinion, as as truly a a priority for the Grizzlies' present and future this year. Second segment, I'm going to talk about, okay, what areas of his game could the Grizzlies, how do the Grizzlies feel about areas of his game that he could improve? And what indicators are out there that he could actually improve to make him worth a long-term investment for the Grizzlies? And in the third segment, we're really going to break down what makes sense. How, what, in what different areas based off, you know, what offers he may get outside of the Grizzlies, at what offer range are the Grizzlies comfortable if for some reason it doesn't work out, how could the Grizzlies still benefit even if they cannot retain Milton? We'll talk about how his restrictive free agency could play out and how the Grizzlies could, you know, act in different scenarios. But, you know, we've talked about the Anthony Melton probably just as much, if not more, than any other player outside Jaw and Jaren this season. And for good reason. The, the main reason why I, I think it is is because I think that the Anthony Melton is the, the poster boy for this Grizzlies front office in terms of the value they can add, a level of value that this front office and coaching staff can add that we've not seen for a while. The ability to identify the Anthony Melton in a trade in which they traded Javon Carter and Kyle Corver for Josh Jackson, the Anthony Melton, and two second round picks. They brought in the Anthony Melton. He looked like that he was going to be a back end of the rotation guy, but due to injuries and ineffectiveness elsewhere, he got his run going in December, and he never looked back. And the thing about it is, is that DeAnthony Melton is not doing it in traditional ways. He's not someone, you know, he is an athletic guy, but he's not someone that's sitting here creating highlight plays. He's not a super effective finisher at the rim. He's not a super effective scorer. He certainly is not someone, you know, that's a consistent shooter. You know, in the ways that you would expect for a reserve two guard or reserve combo guard to make a difference, DeAnthony Melton is not someone who does the traditional things on a consistent basis. What he does do, though, is make an impact across the board in ways other than scoring, especially through defense, and and that's where he got the nickname Mister Do Something. I believe that um, you know that's that's a nickname that he eventually got you know here during his days in Memphis. But that's what attracted. I I really think that's what attracted you know 
the, the, the Grizz, what was attractive about Melton to the Grizzlies was the fact that there's so many different ways that he could contribute. And a reason why that's impactful for Memphis is because with a core in place such as John Morant, such as Jaron Jackson Jr., such as Brandon Clark, if you want to go to another tier, Tyus Jones, um, excuse me, Tyus Jones, Dylan Brooks, and Jonas Valanciunas, for a lot of these players right now, those six players, their impact is more on the offensive end than it is the defensive end. That's just because of their skill sets or where they are right now in terms of their development. So having those guys as really the main members of your you know rotation, the most valuable members of your rotation, mixing in a talent like DeAnthony Melton, really is a, a a contrast that you want. It's it's a nice change of pace of things that complements the overall strengths of those, you know, most valuable parts of the Grizzlies rotation. Why is that? Well it's because of DeAnthony Melton's ability to make plays that then get the ball in the hands of our offensive playmakers in good situations. I mean, it's just true. That's the reason why DeAnthony Melton is so frequently seen in our best lineups, whether it be the four-man lineups or the three-man lineups, whatever it may be, both in defensive rating and net rating. The reason why DeAnthony Melton is there is because he complements our our main players so much, and with him on the court, he's just an added layer of effectiveness and efficiency that really helps this team create advantages on a consistent basis. It's not only that he gels well with our main starters like John and Jaron, he also is a big reason why our bench emerged as a true asset this season, arguably one of the top benches in the NBA. And the Grizzlies need that strong bench continuing to go forward because with a starting lineup that is continuing to gel, continuing to develop, especially around John and Jaron, a strong bench is a great way for them to remain competitive and for them to continue on the fast track to become a sustainable winner and, of course, a, a, a hopefully a title contender in time. You know, overall, the stats for Melton don't really jump off the page in the ways that you may think that they would. You know, it, it, we'll look at it, for instance, you know, per game. Per game, he averaged 7.6 points. He shot 40% from the field, up uh, from 39% his rookie year. He, he shot about 29% from three, which was down a little bit from 30% during his rookie year, but he also averaged 3.7 rebounds, 2.9 assists, 1.3 steals, 0.3 blocks, and, and, you know, only, you know, 1.4 turnovers. So nothing just outstanding, but the thing about DeAnthony Melton is this, is that while he's someone right now who you may not want to sit there and play for 35 minutes or so a game, and I don't know if he's ever going to be at that level, what stands out about Melton is the rates at which he produces when he's on the court. The impact that he makes in so many different ways, the permanent impacts that really make him stand out as not only a playmaker, but a guy that impacts the game on both ends of the court, you know, in ways you wouldn't expect from a guard. What do I mean by that? Well, look at his per 36 minutes. On a per 36 minute scale in his sophomore season, DeAnthony Melton averaged 14 points. We talked about his field goal rates, but he averaged 13 or 14 points, 6.8 rebounds, 5.4 assists, 2.4 steals, 0.6 blocks, and only 2.6 turnover. Now that's 14 points, which is definitely you know a productive number. But you've also got a two to one assist to turnover ratio, which which allows for him to have 5.4 assists, but seven rebounds, seven rebounds for a guard. That is quite incredible. And for a team like the Grizzlies, who just don't have a lot of traditional rebounding sources and want to play a style where it's going to be hard to play with traditional rebounding sources, having a guard like the Anthony Melton who can 
grab rebounds, especially on the defensive board, is a great thing. It's a, it's a great development because not only does it allow for them to have an extra way for them to get to re- defensive rebounds and you know limit second chance opportunities for their opponents, but with DeAnthony Melton's ability in transition, both as a ball handler, you know, and a guy who could progress the ball off the court, once that ball gets in his hands off the rebound, he can get that fast break going, and that's really really good with a lot of the athletes that the Grizzlies have. But of course, the other big part of it is this: is it is his defensive playmaking. You know, again, per 36 minutes, he averaged 2.4 steals and 0.6 blocks. Now, just how, you know, um, on what level, you know, is the Anthony Melton's ability to create these plays, to be a playmaker on defense as a guard? Well, I, I put a stat out there. Um, you know, back uh, uh, probably a month or so ago about DeAnthony Melton, and, and it created a, a little bit of a reaction. It wasn't meant to. The, the, the meaning behind this stat that I'm about to show is more to display the tie, the level of impact that DeAnthony Melton could make when he's on the court more than sitting here comparing him to the guys that are in this group. But, you know, when it comes to DeAnthony Melton, we talk about the things other than scoring that he contributes. So, for DeAnthony Melton, he played a little over 1,100 minutes this season. I looked at his advanced percentages. I looked at the, the rates at which he had assists, in which he rebounded, in which he created steals and created blocks. So when it comes to players in NBA history who have played 1,100 or more minutes, they have a steal rate of 3%. They have an assist rate of 20% or greater, a total rebound percentage of 9.5% or greater, and a block percentage of 1.5% or greater. Now, that's a lot of stats, but the point is is to show that across the board outside of scoring, how rare was DeAnthony Melton's ability in terms of how many different ways he could significantly impact the game? Well, when you look at it, those type of stats, those statistical queries, only four times in NBA history has a player been at or above those levels playing 1,100 or more minutes. And those, and those players are Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and DeAnthony Melton. Now, let's make sure that we understand. I'm not sitting here saying that DeAnthony Melton is those guys. He's clearly not. Both of those guys are clearly Hall of Famers because of their offensive scoring ability in so many different ways. But a big reason why they're also Hall of Famers is because in addition to their historic ability to score and efficiency and all that on offense, also their ability to impact the game in different ways. I mean, you've got two guys who have who have earned all NBA honors. So when you have DeAnthony Melton in that class, it truly shows that when he's on the court, there is a significant impact, you know, made by DeAnthony Melton. I mean, the other thing about Melton beyond that is that when you look at his defensive playmaking ability, you know, a player from the 2019 draft class that we that was talked about a lot was Matisse Thybul, a player in college that a lot of people highlighted as potentially being a sleeper, someone who likely would emerge as having a higher ceiling in the NBA than many expected because of how historically productive he was in college. Well, along with Thibault, DeAnthony Melton was the only player last year to, in a thousand or more minutes, be able to have a steal percentage of 3% or higher and a block percentage of 1.5% or higher. What that means is, is that when DeAnthony Melton is on the court, his level of creating plays, of creating turnovers, creating momentum-type plays for the Grizzlies or for whatever team he may play for, his ability on that court is rare. 
It is very rare in terms of today's NBA, and it's so valuable for a team like the Grizzlies who are at their best in transition. Like we've talked about, the Grizzlies don't have a lot of natural shooting talent, but when DeAnthony Melton's on the court and he's creating plays like he can on defense, he can disrupt and he can create turnovers and he can create fast break opportunities, his ability to do that on defense, get in the transition and add value, and then get on the offensive end and create advantageous scoring situations for the Grizzlies, that is a huge benefit. That is the type of two-way impact that the Grizzlies really do need in a player like DeAnthony Melton. That's why I feel you could easily make the case that besides John Moran, he, in my opinion, likely is the most valuable long-term backcourt piece that the Grizzlies have. I know that we've already made extensions to Tyus Jones and, and Dylan Brooks, and you know you could talk about how great they are on offense, but in terms of the overall impact made, and especially on the defensive end, which this Grizzlies team need, needs with all the offensive talent that they had, I think DeAnthony Melton really makes sense as someone to not only invest in, but to continue to develop. But at what level... Do the Grizzlies feel it makes sense to invest in that? One part of what made DeAnthony Melton so valuable this year is because he was not costly at all. He was still on his rookie contract, but now you're talking about putting forth a significant part of the payroll towards him. Well, part of that equation, he certainly is worth the investment because of the impact that he makes with his strengths. But what areas of his game are weaknesses and what indicators may be out there that he can improve upon them? Coming up, I'm going to look at a few different statistical sources that will really show whether or not there's encouraging signs or perhaps red flags when it comes to certain parts of Milton's game that the Grizzlies really would love to improve as time goes on. One part of Melton's game that makes him so impactful is his energy, and not just the energy that he plays with, but the utilization, you know, when and how he uses that energy. He's a great source of energy on the court that really benefits the Grizzlies. Well, I know a great source of energy that can really benefit your day, and that's Built Go. Listen, we all go through our days and we have these walls that we've got to overcome. It could be a figurative wall, a literal wall, mental, physical. For me personally, you know, it's trying to get back into the grind of work after, you know, a big meal at lunch. I love being able to eat different places, you know, at lunch, you know, when I'm at work. But coming back to the work day, it can be a grind. So I just have to get over that wall. One option is Built Go. Built Go is the 1.5 ounce package of workout gel, drinkable workout gel, that really can add benefit to your day. It's the best workout gel on the market. It's five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. It's natural, so it's better for the body. It's like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine and better results. How does it work? Bilko combines energy gel with collagen protein. It's loaded with good stuff to ignite your work and energy throughout the day. It it gives you that go that really kicks into, you know, you being able to get through the day with energy without that crash feeling later. And the great thing about is it comes in different flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and chocolate mint. If you go to BuiltGo. visit BuiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED, you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, go to BuiltGo.com, use the promo code LOCKED for 25% off your next order of BuiltGo. Let's go. So without a doubt, we certainly know the strengths that the Anthony Melton brings to the Grizzlies. We certainly know that his ability on defense as a disruptive defensive playmaker in terms of steals, in terms of blocks from the guard position, in terms of his rebounding ability, in terms of the fact that he was one of the best producers of deflections when he was on the court in the NBA, I don't think it's far-fetched to say that in terms of being a disruptor and when it comes to defensive playmaking potential, D'Anthony Melton is one of the best perimeter players in the NBA at the moment. I won't say he's one of the best perimeter 
perimeter defenders overall just because of the extent that, you know, he has not played that much in two seasons. He's played a little over 2,100 minutes, but he certainly has shown the potential to truly be one of the most disruptive perimeter defenders in the NBA, and that in of itself is certainly valuable. But and, and especially when it comes to the Grizzlies, a team that does have quite a bit of, of offensive potential, you know, but there are areas of game, you know, there are areas of DeAnthony Melton's game that you, if you're going to make the long-term investment in him, that, you know, it's likely going to cost to retain him, you want to hope that there are areas of his game that he can continue to improve in that can make him even more valuable. Well, those two main areas, besides his defense, to where DeAnthony Melton could potentially, you know, you hope add value, or as a secondary playmaker on offense, as kind of an off-guard playmaker to allow for the point guards, John Morant, Tyus Jones, Grayson Allen, and others, you know, to work off the ball, his ability as a secondary playmaker on offense, and also his ability as a scorer, especially as a shooter. Well, the first thing we'll start out with is this. We'll start out with his ability as a secondary playmaker, and there are very encouraging signs when it comes to the Anthony Melton and his ability to be that. You know, as I mentioned on a per 36-minute scale, he has averaged 5.6 assists and 2.7 turnovers in his career. That's a 2-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio. That's pretty decent for a guy who's likely not going to be handling the ball that much. He doesn't, I mean, he played more point guard with the Suns than he did with the Grizzlies, but the reason why that's an encouraging sign is because it allows for him to be a trustworthy option. As we've discussed, with the Grizzlies core that's in place at least for the next few years, there's likely not a lot of shooting potential that jumps off the books, so you're going to have, or that jumps off the page, so you're going to have to find ways to create that shooting, those shooting opportunities through schemes and schematics. The best way to do that is to allow for your shooters to be in in situations to where they can thrive, and the way to do that is through having secondary playmakers. So what do I mean? I mean when it comes to DeAnthony Milton being on the court with Morant or Allen or um, Tyus Jones or maybe two of those three, if DeAnthony Milton can be a secondary playmaker, that could help unleash the shooting potential that we saw from Grayson Allen and Tyus Jones, especially in catch-and-shoot situations. DeAnthony Milton could be someone that has the ball. You let Jones and Allen move off the ball, get open, Milton hits him with the pass. That's a three-point shot. That adds to the Grizzlies' ability to shoot. That adds wrinkles to the offense and different looks of being able to shoot that are reliable that really can make this offense consistent. With John Morant, his ability to pass, you could see Morant getting to the lane off the baseline. You could see Morant also getting open for for, uh, catch-and-shoot opportunities. So there are plenty of options there with the Anthony Melton. I I think there's significant growth that could be there when it comes to his playmaking ability. He already is a decent one, but not only in the half court, but also in transition, you know, after getting a rebound, the less passes that you make, you know, unless, you know, you're trying to do an outlet pass, the better off you are, whether it be in his hands, pushing the ball up the court, or in making a pass on an outlet pass off a defensive rebound, DeAnthony Melton, I think, offers a bit more upside being a one-man show on the trans- in, in transition than a lot of guards do, due to his transition, due to his rebounding ability, and his ability to either pass or get to the rim. So DeAnthony Melton is a secondary 
secondary playmaker beyond you know the already elite playmaking that John Morant and the uh, and Tyus Jones offer. I think that that's certainly an encouraging sign and a aspect of Milton's game that can, can continue to improve. And as we noted with you know guests as well as looking at the Grizzlies from this past season, you know other sources of secondary playmaking is really something the Grizzlies could use. DeAnthony Milton seems to be someone who could fill that role going forward. But of course, the primary concern about DeAnthony Milton's game is his ability to shoot. The primary need for the Grizzlies is finding more shooters. Now, already talked about different ways in which through his defense, his defensive playmaking, and his ability as a secondary um, playmaker, DeAnthony Milton can assist others when it comes to their shooting. But overall, what about DeAnthony Milton's ability to score and his ability to be able to shoot? Well, I'm just going to be honest. There's not a lot of encouraging signs that are there right now that anytime soon would allow for Melton to become a reliable shooter. There's just not. When you look at all metrics, whether it be from college or into the pros, DeAnthony Melton just there's there's just nothing that really stands out that's encouraging about him becoming a reliable shooter in the near future. That's not to say he won't, but if you're going to invest the money that it's likely going to take to you know retain Melton, you, you probably would like a little bit more encouragement encouraging, you know, you know, proof that he could develop into that type of shooter. And I just don't think it's there right now. I can't sit here and say, based off looking at statistics, based off looking at game film, that there is a lot of significant progression for DeAnthony Melton to become better as a shooter. I think he can become a better shooter, but in terms of him becoming reliable to the point that he'll consistently be someone that could really, you know, that defenses will really respect, I don't necessarily know if that's the case. I think right now, Melton is more someone that, you know, the defenses are going to want to shoot from the outside, kind of like we saw with Tony Allen. I know that, uh, you know, he's gotten the nickname the Grindson among Grizzly circles. Well, one aspect as to why that is is not only his defense, but also the fact that on offense right now, Melton's someone that defenses are just going to let shoot. So is there anything about his offensive profile, his scoring and shooting profile that stands out as encouraging? Well, you know, a few things are certainly there. When it comes to Melton, you know, he did improve on his two-point field goal percentage from um, 44% to nearly 46.5%. And a big reason why he was able to improve upon that was because of his ability at the rim. When it comes to Melton taking shots at the rim, you know, he took nearly 20, he's taken nearly 28% of his shots at the rim um, in, in his career so far. In that case, he improved from nearly making 57% of his shot at the rim in his rookie season to making nearly 33 um to making nearly um 63% of his shots at the rim. Between 3 and 10 feet from the basket, Melton actually also improved from 35% to 40%. So he became a better finisher. He became a better finisher this year getting to the rim and you know either doing for layups, doing for dunks or little floaters or or shots close to the rim. Melton did improve as a finisher. But he also certainly did um, kind of take a step back when it came to his mid-range game. He shot nearly, um, he, he shot 32% within 10 to 16 feet of the basket. So being able to be a reliable shooter in the mid-range game, there's going to have to be vast improvement for Melton to ever become respectable in that area, which is fine. You've got a lot of guards who are more effective at the rim and from three than they are in the mid-range, and that's kind of Melton's game right now. He is a decent finisher, and he's an improving finisher, but his mid-range game is certainly something that's going to be a work in progress. 
But of course, the big area where we would love to see improvement, where we would love to see encouraging signs from Milton is from distance and especially from three. Now, the thing about it is this, is that Melton is not someone who, in my opinion, is afraid to shoot the three. If the shot is there, Melton will take it. But in terms of all the different aspects that you look at when it comes to projecting a player to improve when it comes to shooting, there's just not, you know, anything that really stands off the page when it comes to Melton. You know, you look for the volume. He hasn't really ever had volume. In college, he only averaged six shots per game. In the NBA, per 36 minutes, he's averaging, he is averaging nearly 12 field goal um, shots per game when it comes to per 36 minutes in the NBA, but only four from three. So he's never really been that type of volume shooter. He's not really had that as a part of his profile. So not only is it the skill of making the shot that comes with Melton, you also have got to get into, you know, the, establish the routine. You don't don't want him sitting here taking shots, you know, every time he's on the court. That's not the goal. But in terms of that repetition and that routine and that comfort level of being able to repeat a form, repeat a form that will allow for him to make shots, it's hard to do if he's not taking that many. So that's one aspect of his game that likely will need to continue to improve is just, you know, the comfort with taking a shot. I think he's comfortable shooting, but in terms of repeating a form that can make and turn him into a reliable three-point shooter, that's the work in progress. But in terms of the different depths that come into DeAnthony Melton being able to shoot the three, there, let's look at the different situations. In catch-and-shoot situations, he had 112 catch-and-shoot opportunities this season. He was 32% overall and 32.7% from three. In pull-up situations, in 106 opportunities, he, was, he shot 27.4% from the field. In 40 attempts from three in pull-up shooting shoot situations, he, was, he shot 17.5%. So again, it's a struggle. Shooting is definitely a struggling part of DeAnthony Melton's game. Whether it be in catch-and-shoot situations or in pull-up situations, it's just not a part of his game right now that's there as an asset, and it's certainly not a part of his game that defenses are going to respect. However, there is one encouraging aspect of DeAnthony Melton's shooting profile that I think the Grizzlies could continue to build on that adds to their strength and their ability to use schemes and schematics to use Melton as a part of their ability to improve their shooting, and that is his ability to shoot from the corner. Now, we saw in the bubble... In the scrimmages against Miami, especially in that first half, I know that they were scrimmages. I know it was just a half. You don't want to put too much emphasis on it. But there was so much excitement created from the idea of DeAnthony Melton and Kyle Anderson potentially be becoming catch-and-shoot three-point options, especially with Tyus and Justice and others out of the equation for the Grizzlies. Unfortunately, it didn't translate to success in the bubble. But on the season, DeAnthony Melton was actually 12 of 40, on, uh, on corner three-point opportunities. Now, a lot of the times when you shoot a corner three, that's from catch-and-shoot opportunities. And what have I mentioned? As, as uh, from time to time, and others have mentioned, that really could be an added element that we saw a bit more reliance on in the bubble is the Grizzlies' ability to get into the paint where they're one of the most productive teams in the NBA and then be kicking the ball out to the corner for an open three-point shot. Well, in this scenario, D'Anthony Milton took had 40 or excuse me had 30 attempts on corner threes this season he made 12 of them that was 40% he was a 40% shooter from three point from from the corner when it comes to shooting threes that is an encouraging sign that reflects and backs up what we saw in those scrimmages so if you know just like DeAnthony Melton could be a secondary playmaker to help Tyus Jones to help Grayson Allen to help John Morant 
off when 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 DeAnthony Melton has the ball, he can help those guys off the ball, set up shots for them. When those guys can get into the lane and be, use their elite passing ability, especially Jones and Melton, to kick the ball, or Jones and uh, Moran, and then kick the ball out to Melton, Melton could be one of those options. So I do think that Melton could at least become a decent catch-and-shoot three-point option. I don't ever think he's going to be someone that's going to be a reliable scorer. That's nothing against Melton. It's just not his game. I don't know if he's ever going to be, become a, a guy who can pull up. I don't really know if he's a guy who's going to be able to be reliable in terms of being uh, drives. But I do think that he could at least become respectable based off opportunities being created for him by his teammates. We saw it when he played with Tyus Jones. He was at his best as an offensive player when he was playing besides Tyus Jones and Brandon Clark. So with the defense that he adds, you certainly have the value there to make him worth the investment. When it comes to what areas he can improve in, there certainly are encouraging signs for him to be a secondary playmaker, which the Grizzlies need more of. But the primary need area for his game and for the Grizzlies of him being a scorer and a shooter from distance, there's not a lot of encouraging signs that are there. Does that deter the Grizzlies from really investing in him, though? Does that does that stand out? Does his struggles and his lack of encouraging signs to be a shooter in the future really keep the Grizzlies from wanting to invest in him long term? Coming up, I'm going to look at that. I'm going to look at just how important is the shooting to the Grizzlies roster and what that means for the potential investment that the Grizzlies look for when it comes to DeAnthony Melton. In the first two segments, we've just, we've looked at DeAnthony Milton's game from a variety of different perspectives. We've looked at his strengths, how that impacts the game. We've looked at his weaknesses, how he potentially can improve and what encouraging signs are there that he can improve significantly. We've looked at who he is and who he can become and why that's so important to the Grizzlies. But now comes the big question, just how much emphasis should the Grizzlies, how much should they make a priority, um, how much should they make Melton a priority when it comes to investing in him long term? Well, when you think about it, I think there's a couple of perspectives to consider. Number one, I think it's from a team perspective, and we'll talk about that first. And then number two, also when it comes to the financial structure of the commitments the Grizzlies have already made to other individual players, I think that plays into the equation as well. But let's start at the team perspective. When you look at this Grizzlies team, the three big areas of need that really stand out for the Grizzlies to improve upon, if you were to rank them going forward, for this young core, for this roster to truly emerge as a sustainable winner and hopeful title contender are, number one, shooting. Number two, defense. And number three, secondary playmaking to support their core players. When you apply the strengths and weaknesses of DeAnthony Melton to those areas, in terms of this current roster, I think you come away with a clear understanding that he's worth investing in for the future. Because in terms of shooting, yes, he arguably is one of the Grizzlies' worst shooters. So yeah, that's discouraging. But when it comes to defense... I think it's clear he may not have as much potential as a Jaron Jackson Jr. or a Brandon Clark, but in terms of what he is right now, in terms of being a, a perimeter playmaker on defense, a disruptor, someone in various ways that can really impact the game and make his defense and, and overall lift the ceiling of a team defense, which is something you want and something you you highly value next to John Morant, I think that right there alone makes him worth the investment. And also 
also, with the third thing that the Grizzlies need to be in secondary playmaking, you know, DeAnthony Melton does have some, you know, room to grow in that area, which allows for him to stay on the court with talents like Grayson, Tyus, and John Morant. So in terms of what the Grizzlies need, and in terms of the strengths and weaknesses of DeAnthony Melton's skill set, He's certainly worth the investment. Yes, shooting should be above all. And you certainly want to, at some point, find backcourt options that are going to be reliable shooters. But there's also the overall impact that players make on the game. And DeAnthony Melton has proven, and he's proven through this system with Taylor Jenkins, that he truly can impact the game in many significant ways that can overcome his lack of shooting, mainly through his defense and his secondary playmaking. So I think that in terms of the team concept, DeAnthony Melton is certainly worth the investment. It makes sense for the Grizzlies to keep him around and invest a good portion of, you know, a good amount in him to be a long-term member of this future core. But now you've got to look at the commitments that have already been made by the Grizzlies to several of their second-tier players. Now, when I say second-tier players, I mean that the trio of John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., and... Um, uh, Brandon Clark, that's the core. That's the trio that you're building around. I'll actually say that it's the third-tier players because you've also got Justice Winslow and Jonas Valanciunas who probably are have the highest ceilings besides John Jaron and Brandon Clark and also were certainly paid you know, for that because they've got you know, right now the highest contracts out there in terms of long ter- in terms of you know multi-year commitments. So take that, take those five out of the equation. Well, now you start looking at the multi-year commitments the Grizzlies have in three other players. And that's the three-year $30 million commitment to Dylan Brooks. That's the two-year and and about $18 million commitment that's left with Tyus Jones. And then the two-year $17.5 million commitment that was made to Kyle Anderson. I think it makes sense for the Grizzlies to kind of use Kyle Anderson's and and, and, um, Dylan Brooks's contracts as kind of ceilings for DeAnthony Melton. You know, Kyle Anderson, was he signed a four-year, $37.5 million contract. And while I think DeAnthony Melton has a higher ceiling and contributes in more ways in a bigger area of need on the perimeter and as a combo guard, I think that there are some similarities in terms of the value added between Melton and Anderson. They're two non-shooters whose strengths in their game are their defense and their playmaking ability. So, and, But the thing is, is that DeAnthony Melton is also 22 years old. So he does have more projectable room to growth. So I think that four-year, $37.5 million deal that the Grizzlies signed Kyle Anderson to through restricted free agency, I think in terms of years and in terms of amount per year, that is a good model when it comes to DeAnthony Melton. And so if the Grizzlies do that, now you've got to think to yourself, okay, they've now sit here and committed nearly $40 million or a little over $40 million to four players who in and of themselves, that group of four, you don't really have a standout person in terms of really good shooting potential. But what you do have is you have four players who can, in in terms of being on the bench or in terms of starting, they're versatile on what they can do in terms of the roster, but also there still is room to grow for all four of them due to their age 
and due to their contracts, they still become movable pieces. I think out of all those four players, Tyus Jones, Dylan Brooks, DeAnthony Melton, and Kyle Anderson, I think DeAnthony Melton probably has the highest ceiling. Number one, due to age. Number two, in terms of how his skill set meet the needs of the Grizzlies. And number three, in terms of how he can continue to grow as a secondary playmaker and defender. And if he continues to grow and the Grizzlies get into the 2021 offseason and, and beyond, then if Melton clearly becomes a preference to, you know, other players like a Dan, like a Dylan Brooks or like a Kyle Anderson, you trade those guys off because their contracts are still able to be traded. So just because the Grizzlies commit the money that they do to Melton, and you think to yourself, man, that's a lot of money to owe to four different players who really themselves are, are, are kind of, you know, more, you know, are they reserves? Are, are they potential spot starters? You know, they don't really seem to have, you know, the true ability to turn into a truly high-level elite role player. The thing is, is that your ability to move them or your options don't end just by signing them long-term. You can still trade them. Of course, another factor is the emergence of Grayson Allen, but I don't think that 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 is that big of a deal because the different skill sets that you have among Dylan, among Grayson, among Jaw, among Tyus, and among DeAnthony Melton in the backcourt, the good thing about it is, is that you have, besides um, um, Tyus and Jaw, you have those other three players. You have a pure wing in Dylan, but then you have combo guard opportunities with Grayson and Melton. So I also think that in retaining Melton, you will be able to still find combinations, rotations, different game situations where all four of those pieces next to Jaw can still benefit. But in the end, I do feel that if you commit to Melton, that does mean that over the next 18 months, you're going to see one or two of these pieces, especially between Dylan, Melton, and Grayson and Allen traded because at some point, you know, you just have too much of, um, you, you have too much depth and you need to turn some of that quantity into quality. So that's kind of how I view the DeAnthony Melton situation in terms of what he adds to the team. And in terms of his potential compared to what other options the Grizzlies have right now, even though the Grizzlies have several controllable options in their backcourt, I think that the upside of DeAnthony Melton and how that upside can really add value to the long-term needs of the Grizzlies make him worth an investment. I personally would look at about four years, $35 million, maybe three years, $30 million. I think that that's that comfort level, but three to four years, eight to $10 million, I think it makes sense to invest in Anthony Melton. But what if another team out there really wants to invest more into him? You know, we've seen through other writings, you know, we saw former um, former Grizzlies beat writer Amari Sankofa talked about it with Detroit. You know, we've talked about it about Atlanta. DeAnthony Melton, as a young, with the skill set that he has at such a young age and that ability to be a disruptive force on defense, that's highly attractive to not only contenders, but also young cores that are continuing to build elsewhere. Basically, Melton fits on any NBA team's competitive timeline because of how young he is. Well, that could work to the Grizzlies' advantage if he winds up signing the deal in the $10 to $12 million range, for instance, over three years or four years. In that case, I think it makes sense for the Grizzlies to kind of do what they did last year with the loan right. Last year with the loan right, it was anticipated that the Grizzlies would give him a three-year deal in the $27 to $30 million range. Well, instead they took him and they traded him to the Dallas Mavericks for two second-round picks and wound up signing Tyus Jones. Now, 
I don't think that the Anthony Melton situation is the same as the DeLone Wright situation because I don't think that you take the Anthony Melton, trade him off for a couple of picks, and then potentially go out and get a shooter that you might like, like a you know a Alec Burks or a um um. Um, a Bryn Forbes, because I don't think either one of those players, due to their age and due to their overall profiles, have the upside or the overall impact that Melton adds. But I also think that you have a limit on what you commit to Melton. And if someone wants to come in and potentially give him a three-year deal in the $12 million range or north of that, I think at that point it becomes likely that the Grizzlies trust their ability to develop talent and they don't want to invest just too much into Melton. So in that case... If Melton becomes a bit too pricey and a team were to be really aggressive in offering him a contract and the Grizzlies don't want to match, I think it makes sense for the Grizzlies to use him in a sign-and-trade deal. Could they get a first for him? I don't necessarily know. I think he may have that potential. I think it's more than likely that the Grizzlies could get two very attractive seconds. And at that point, you just you, you take that. You if, if you just run into the fact that there is a contract offer out there for Melton that you just don't feel comfortable matching, get something for him. Get a couple of seconds, a couple of lottery tickets that you eventually could find the next Melton with and, and, and be glad going into the future. However, again, I don't think it's like the Dillon Wright situation. I think that the only reason why you don't retain Melton is because if he's just simply too expensive and then you get the picks. I don't necessarily think that there's other options out there that you prioritize over Melton because of what he's meant to your team, your culture, and what he can add overall going forward. So at the end of the day, there are several things about Melton to like. There are also some red flags in really important areas that you hope in time he'll be able to address, but you also kind of, you know, I know that it's, you don't want to give up on his potential. Again, he's 22 years old. He's been in the league for two years. You know, he has plenty of time to develop, but I think if you're going to make the investment in him that the Grizzlies are looking to make, you've got to consider, okay, if he doesn't improve in these areas, are we okay with him continuing to improve in areas other than him being a scorer and a shooter? And I think the Grizzlies would not have traded for him if they weren't okay with that. So at the end of the day, if the Grizzlies can retain him, you know, with the deal that goes up to four years or less, and that stays probably around, I would say about eight and a half to nine and a half million per or lower. I think that Milton becomes a worthwhile investment to make, and I think that he has the highest upside of all the other Grizzlies contracts that they have between their wings and their backcourts outside of Justice Winslow. I think that DeAnthony Milton has the highest upside, and just because they make the investment in him now, and they made the investment in others, if it just winds up working out, eventually you're going to find the one or two pieces out of that group that'll truly emerge as being valuable for your future core, and if that's the case, you've still got all these options on that controllable, you still have them under control and on contracts you can move. So it's certainly an advantageous for the Grizzly situation for the Grizzlies to be in. I think Melton is certainly a talent that's worth investing in. And I think at the end of the day, you will see Melton back on a three to four year deal, probably somewhere in the late twenties to you know mid thirties in terms of overall contract value. And I think both him and the Grizzlies will be in a good place going forward. Now when it comes to the Anthony Melton, this is probably going to be a decision that's going to happen after the draft. So he really doesn't impact the draft. Obviously, his 
restricted free agency, if for some reason he leaves, that then makes the Grizzlies more likely to get a, a relevant type rotation talent in free agency. A name I've thrown out there is Brent Forbes. Another one is Alec Burks. I think that you would. it's more likely that you see the Grizzlies make a commitment to that type of player if they for some reason do not retain Melton. So in other words, I think when it comes to Melton's situation, his Restricted free agency impacts the Grizzlies' approach towards free agency and trades more than it does impacts their um, their mindset when it comes to the draft. So there we go. A lot of thoughts about DeAnthony Melton. I am very excited to see what occurs. You know, number one, because, you know, that is going to be the one area, I think, where the Grizzlies are going to have the most activity, and that's the domino that you're wanting to see fall, either one way or another, to help decide what the Grizzlies are going to do this offseason. And offseason, as we've stated, is probably still going to be a, a bit lax, you know, a bit boring compared to the last one. But if the Grizzlies were to invest in Melton, I do think that it's a great move, and I'm really excited to see how he grows with this core. Because as Zach Kleiman stated, they really do feel that DeAnthony Melton is a great part of their culture, and I think that that's another reason why it makes sense to invest in him. Can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us. It's been great this week, really breaking down different prospects, looking at the Grizzlies, you know, in terms of how their rosters, you know, could be used to upgrade, and then also talking about, obviously, the one key figure this offseason in the Anthony Melton. I will have another special episode coming up on Saturday, in which we'll break down another, um, you know, another intriguing prospect for the Grizzlies in the draft, and also we'll have a few special guests next week who will come in and talk with us about the draft as a whole. I know that a lot of Grizzlies fans love the draft beyond just Memphis, so I think that you'll be very, very happy with some of the perspectives that we'll get from guests on the show next week. Again, you can follow the show at Locked on Grizz, myself at StatsSAC. Find the podcast wherever podcasts are available, and we ask that you review, subscribe, and let us know what you think whenever you can. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon here on the Locked on Grizzlies podcast.